Acker and Blacker, the guys who brought you the thrilling adventure hour, present Acker and Blacker's Star Wars-themed book release variety show slash benefit for public council. A star-studded night full of Star Wars-themed comedy and music. Featuring performances by Weird Al Yankovic. Open Mike Eagle. Michael Giacchino. Zach Sherwin. It's a town with a bar where the music's lively. Gabby Moreno. Sarah Watkins. Take a look at the love and beating up the wrong guy. Oh, Featuring appearances by Steve Agee, Mark McConville, Janina Gavankar, Matt Thorley, Busy Phillips, and Ahmed Best. It's just been endless green lights for me since, <laughs> since 97. The entire two-hour show will be available for download on May the 4th at thrillingadventurehour.com. Proceeds benefiting public council. Perfect it is. Remember, thrillingadventurehour.com on Star Wars Day. And then join the resistance. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers' Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writers' Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writers' Panel with Ben starting now oh yeah jerry duggan hi thanks for coming back thank you for having me back i really Uh, appreciate it listen let me roll this in uh jerry (laughs) is writing a whole bunch of comics uh including the upcoming guardians of the galaxy yeah which probably out by the time we put this out um and so you've just taken over that book with a relaunch and it is uh it's hopefully under all its new, own all power. All new, right. yeah, all new Guardians of the Galaxy with Aaron Cooter and uh, a bunch and it's of wonderful a, artists. A really good book. Thanks. That buddy. is I no really surprise though, well, coming from you. Uh, I will say you are you're the guy who made me and many other readers care about Deadpool. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate it. I've, I had a lot of help 
um, you know, both with Deadpool uh, and, and, and now Guardians. And uh, I'm once again very, very lucky in collaborators. So that's very kind of you to say. We want to go out. We want to have fun. It's a fun time to leave Earth. If, <laughs> if you're super bummed, that's you fair. can stretch your legs in outer space and feel the weight of the world and the troubles. You know, we put them in your rear view. We'll give you totally different troubles to worry about. Exactly. It's not, I mean, you should say, and I think this is what you're really, good at as a writer is like making this thing that could just be adventure and fun and a lot of silly really have stakes and you care and you're saying something well thanks i you know i i think our job right is to find ways to hurt these characters right and like we love them but it's like you're gonna find a way to pull the wings off of them and and uh you, you know in, in guardians anyway that's out uh now uh the, you know we're i think the most profoundly messed up thing we're doing is to groot you know, why would you want to hurt Groot? And yet, you know, his beloved stick, a beloved, a beloved tree who just wants to save his friends. And this is what we're doing to him is really sad. Yeah. Like, you're doing some fucked up stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yes, it's true. Uh, and that is, I've only seen the first couple issues and it is even just hinted at in there. And so I can only imagine. It gets way worse. Of course it does. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your relationship to Guardians. Sure. Before taking on the book, were you a fan of the stuff as a kid? When did you kind of come to these characters? I had, yes, I, my secret origin is I was like bit by a radioactive um, comic book shop. So my <laughs> first job was in a shop. Oh, really? And so I eventually read everything because I could do it for free. So, yeah. I, you know, to me, it was a library. And, you know, nobody has that. I guess you, maybe you have that opportunity today digitally, I, yeah. I guess you can. Um, but, but Things are it, available in the same way are, they were if you lived in a comic if shop. If I lived, 13. Yes. <laughs> was there You ever hear that uh, the bad Ronald, the TV movie where the guy living in a... Yes. It was like I was living in the, in, in the comic shop. But, but yeah, I, so I've been... Uh, I, I grew up uh, with all of these comics. And so, especially in the Marvel Cosmic stuff... I came to it a little bit late. Um, you know, I read the Simons and Thor. I read mm-hmm. the Miller Daredevil. But as I worked my way through sort of what I discovered to be the classics, you know, I found these other comics that I was like, why is nobody talking about these? Why aren't my friends who read comics like? And then, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet, obviously, that solidified things f- for people. And so now I have this amazing opportunity. And the thing I really want to do is make um, my mark in outer space with some of the toys but I think in a new way like I I have an infinity stone story Mm -hmm. but it's not a Thanos story that's cool and so I look I don't know if anyone's gonna like it I hope they do (laughs) but with all this stuff and I I know you must feel the same way you know we're we're writing for ourselves Mm -hmm. you know it's still it is fanfic for me. Absolutely. Still, where you it's go? Getting I, to play with the toys. Getting to play with the toys, and and getting to play with the toys in in a new way that mm-hmm. that you haven't seen that is really exciting. And so and I do. I, I love the guardians. That that is the trick, though, right? Yes. And like this is sort of a, a broader conversation. But like when you're working for Marvel, DC, you know, Lucasfilm, whatever these sort of big franchises are, it, the question is, I think the jumping off question is, how do I play with the toys in the way that I love them, but also tell a story that only I can tell. 
Yes. And finding a way, too, to make it fun for our collaborators, right? Because we're just the start of this. And then I I try anyway on the page. No one's going to ever, you know, the the number of people that will see the page, you could fit on, you know, it's five or six people. But if they read it and they have fun, I hope that that ends up permeating their work. And, And... you know, at least in the case of, of Guardians and, and Aaron and some of our guest artists, like they, I can't take credit for the fun they're having, <laughs> but like I, I, I trust that they're having fun. We're finding ways to, to do it. And, you know, it is, um, it's intimidating though. Uh, you know, when I started on Deadpool with Brian Posehn, mm-hmm. we were sure that it was going to be a, over very quickly. And it's true, and I've said this before, but it's it's absolutely true. We put Doctor Strange in the third issue because we we wanted to write yep. Doctor Strange, and we were like, well, if we're canceled, Tony Moore will still have had to have drawn this. Like, I'll I'll right. have, might not have ended the way I wanted it, but we will have done that. And and so now with Guardians, it does feel like the stakes are a little bit higher. Where hey, this is a big relaunch in a movie launch window, and mm-hmm. the 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 writer part of me that goes, well, I'm still just writing for myself is like, yeah, it's true. But like, (laughs) you better be like entertaining and hope that other people like it or it's going to be a real short trip. So how do you, how do you work through that pressure that you put on yourself? (sighs) You know, uh, I'm lucky in that, uh, Jordan D white, the editor and, and, uh, his associate editors are good, um, comics readers they have good taste and that's all i guess we have in in this endeavor is that we we have the things that we like and you know they will be honest with you you know and so uh, you know knowing that the sad parts get the reaction you want or the laughs land hopefully on paper you feel better about it um but it is it's it's a little (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking um on I want to talk about Deadpool for one second and sure. then come back to Guardians. But um, so I absolutely understand that feeling of like getting into the thing and feeling like I've got six issues. Let me leave it all on the table. Uh, but you you had some kind of huge milestone issue, didn't you? Like how many issues have you done at this point? How much writing of Deadpool have you done? I Do you have know? done. Uh, yeah, this came up recently mm-hmm. uh, because late Late 2016, somewhere in there, I became the person that has written the most Deadpool or yeah. co-written the most Deadpool, which is crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. But, but it's also, I'm looking back, I am so lucky. I We inherited a popular character who already had a video game or a video game in the works, or threatened a movie, right? And mm. so all of a sudden we come in. Brian has this big name recognition and people sit up and take notice and take a shot on the book. We became instantly, I think, different than those other Deadpool runs because those other Deadpool runs were always sort of on the cusp of great success and then cancellation for no Mm. other reason than that was what the market would bear, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so you had great Deadpool stories and guys uh, or, or, or or women in the case of Gail who were like, hey, we have us, we we we're, we have to change a 12 issue story into three issues. And, yeah. you know, all of a sudden things are very different. So I did feel we were 
climb that mountain on the backs of those other creative teams. And, you know, I couldn't be more grateful. And look, I, I have no idea when I rap or w- how I rap. Well, I, I do know how do. I rap yeah, or if I ever <laughs> rap. No, I, I feel like I'm writing to an end. Uh, I've always had an end in mind, and uh, Jordan, uh, our, our, the editor uh, of Guardians, is also my Deadpool editor, um, likes that as a, 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 mm-hmm. a jumping-off point. And, and, but that has slid and slid and sure. slid. Uh, now I do. I can feel like that it's in me. You know, maybe I'm. Maybe I get a taste for space. We'll see what happens. But there's a lot of fun, messed up Deadpool ahead of us yeah. in Secret Empire. So this awesome. event that you know, uh, Steve Rogers. You know, Evil Steve is Steve. He's yeah. That that should be a Deadpool balloon somewhere. Really but, but but somewhere in there, we're going to use it to really set things on fire in a good way that's I cool hope, so. and it is i mean it's like you said like what can i keep doing to these characters yeah. to make their lives miserable yeah yeah because yeah. that's where the good stories come from it's making them hurt and then <laughs> you know and with deadpool especially it's the whiplash it's mm-hmm. the closer that you can put the the comedy and the tragedy uh you know i i want to say too i've got so much out of the madcap of it all and i can't take any credit for it i think people think that I had something to do with that. I inherited that from the annual. What? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, w- w- you know, when, when that I happened. that he hadn't been used in a while. He hadn't been used in a while. And yeah. then he, all of a sudden we had this great, we had this context there. And so okay. I inherited that element from the annual. It was an annual, right? With yes. you and Shaner. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden there was, okay, uh, Madcap was the other voice in his head. And then it's like, oh my God, maybe this could be the, the on-ramp into Deadpool's dream. Joker. And so we tried, oh, cool. you know, to, to really no, you sink them in, into into this <laughs> abyss. Uh, and even he has a really messed up part in this next awesome. year. That's I, great. I hope. That's I love. I mean, reading your books, whether it is the Deadpool stuff or Uncanny Avengers, is it Uncanny Avengers? Yeah, Uncanny yeah. Avengers, um, or the Guardian stuff. Like the fun you're having is so clear. Well, and I know it's you. so much work, but. It's also clear that like you have affection for these characters, these worlds. You love pulling in the other stuff, and then, frankly, the jokes are good, which is hard in oh, comics. Oh, thanks, man. Well, that's very kind of you. Yeah, it's uh, you know the the jokes are the things that you obsess about. Like you can't change story, but up until the Friday when a comic goes to press, yeah. you can look at a PDF, and then it's sort of uh, it's a caption contest, right? <laughs> it's like you're trying to beat the joke, and I I can really uh, you know I, I get lost in that sometimes. I, I find Thursdays and Fridays to be very frustrating. Frustrating. But does this come from a background as, like, you've written jokes, you've written TV stuff. Yeah. It's been a lot of, I saw, like, Attack of the Show. Attack of the Show the is award what stuff changed too. it. Yeah, 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 and the award shows. Like, that's um, just joke writing. That's I just like. joke writing, and it's, uh, it's a particular skill set that I am not the best at, but I like trying mm-hmm. to, to, to do it. And, and uh, a thousand hours of live TV on Attack of the Show with just really... You know, we had a bunch of writers, writers that had other job titles. They were segment yeah. producers. They were, in some cases, even production assistants that shouldn't have been <laughs> sure. contributing writers. But it was a lot of loose titles yeah. over the, over a G four back then. Yeah, there was. It was like Fury Road at but live is, telecast yeah. every day. But it is, you know, I mean, you're still playing the beat the joke game, totally. which so many of these writers' rooms do. Totally. And and there were some days at uh, you know after four o'clock that we we were live where 
there was nothing in prompter every once in a while. And we would be running the video and then I would hit the button to talk into uh, Kevin Pereira or Olivia Munzier <laughs> and pitch them a joke. Now, sometimes they, they would just go for it and sometimes oh they didn't. God. But, like, that was live TV. And, That's crazy. And, yeah, it's crazy <laughs> that that happened. That's amazing. I mean, that'll that'll hone the skills, too. But, like, but yeah, you Coming do, up with stuff quickly. The, the coming up with stuff quickly and then also the sense that it didn't matter how great a show you had or how bad the show was. There was another hour of live TV to fill tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So whether you were having a pity party or you felt great, it it was going to be meaningless when you woke up the next morning. And and, and but the, you know what? The comics was such a treat after that because it all felt so disposable. Yeah. You know, you couldn't. Uh, those shows were built around fair use, and so today we you can't legally broadcast most of it. Yeah. That's really funny. It's so I, funny. It's all just into the but ether. But there is something to comics because, especially when you're on a monthly book and you're you're churning out the schedule, and sometimes more than once a month. Yeah. Um, it does help you learn not to be precious about how the stuff is made. Right? It's got to get out. Totally. It's it's uh, especially for me. Uh, you know, I can be very stubborn, and when I have something that I really want to do and can't do or want to do I think I'm at my best when I'm collaborating and things change and I will always rather than I'll take a deep breath and I'll see how it could be better mm-hmm. and look that also it's part of probably I've never I don't have a musical bone in my body but I assume that's what it's like in a band where it's like oh I didn't think the song was going to sound like that right. there have been a lot of comics mm-hmm. a lot of times that uh, change when the when the art comes back, right? Because I, I write it once for the editor or once for myself and then maybe polish it, turn it in, get any notes. Maybe there are no notes, maybe there are some, but when the art comes back, then you rewrite it before the letter. And then, yeah. you know, s- some of you may know that as the process or not. And then we can, it's always con- worth talking about. Yeah. You know, I think people, different people do it different ways too, but that's, that's pretty a standard uh, way to do it. I hear Alan Moore, ne- like never sort of went back. Right. It was like, that was the script. The script was the script yeah. and then that was it. And it went to lettering. And, and if you've seen, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen oh, his scripts yes. where like, of course he never went back. He wrote yeah. every single goddamn line that was drawn in that yes. thing i feel horrible for his artists he there's a very funny story that someone told me at a convention and i don't know if this is true but i want it to be true but it had been so long since alan moore had seen a a, a comic book script that was written by someone else that he then saw a modern script and then looked back at his work and was like why have i been writing in caps have i been yelling at everyone all this time <laughs> so as they were there was a lot well, of, all, of yes you have <laughs> yes it's a matter of fact that's unrelated yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny um what, what do your scripts look like i mean um, how as, consider like uh, i'm especially curious for like guardians where you haven't necessarily worked very much with the artist before if at all no yeah this was a new pairing okay. um i always try to write uh, a full script mm-hmm. um the i was working in final draft and when we began on deadpool um axel and jordan had asked if we would switch to word mm-hmm. uh and that was because our you know the people down the line were going to be using word and not final draft especially right. the letters and i said sure it caused me a little bit of uh concern because i didn't really have a template 
Uh, and there really isn't one. And there isn't one. <laughs> you know, you, and so I have, this is, I'll just describe a page, I guess. Yeah. If I need to take a moment to say, hey, this is the direction, it'll, I'll do that in, a, in italics for the uh, editor or the artist. Mm-hmm. But then I'll just put a, a slug, it'll be page one, panel one. And then I really do break down what I think it is. They're free mm-hmm. to change the, pa- you know, if I called for five panels and they can do it in four great yeah. i'll come in later but i do i feel like i owe them at least a full script um you know i but i know a lot of guys that have success doing the outline mm-hmm. um but i have uh and i don't say this proudly i'm a little bit of a control freak you know and so i feel like i i, I will write the script because i'm hoping that this is w- what it vaguely will yeah. become. <laughs> well, I mean, it, look, it's the same in writing a TV or movie script, right? Yeah. It's like, this is the thing in my head. This is the way I see it. Yeah. But I think the key, especially in comics, but in all of the, any of these media, is then being open to the collaboration. Totally. And, and, and you have been. I mean, we, we see that, I think. I, well, thank you. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. You know, the thing that I tried to do, I, I think that maybe other I guess everyone's trying to always have a joke, you know, that would be a great thing to have. But the, like I was wasting jokes on, <laughs> on stuff that was never going to get drawn in, in panel descriptions, you know, but yeah. I, I'm like, I'm here. I might as well. I thought right. of it. If I can make them laugh, they'll, they'll do it. And in fact, That's when funny. we did Chewbacca, one of the Lucasfilm guys, uh, I, I, I did a Chewbacca miniseries mm-hmm. with Phil Noto and, and he goes, uh, hey, this may help you guys. We had the lines written for Chewie in the film scripts that were oh, that's funny. never made it, obviously, into right. the film. But that way, everyone knew what was being said. And so I was writing jokes to just make Jordan <laughs> and Phil laugh, you know, that, that were just going to be, tra- you know, translated into like a, you know, like a chair across the floor. But it felt good, you know. Think about how many like- other comics you could have been writing. In that <laughs> no, you're yeah. writing dialogue for Chewie. <laughs> A tough day. <laughs> At least we didn't That's do really chewy cap boxes where it all explained. <laughs> that would have been the worst. All right, which I feel like isn't uh, Charles Soule doing that on R two D two or something uh, on BB eight? Oh, I don't know. I'm behind on my all of my PDFs, but I'll uh, we'll we'll have to have a little meeting. <laughs> no, but I think he actually is doing the same thing you did on Chewy, which is like yeah, he'll write yeah, the dialogue yeah. for the non. English speaking character. It is. It helps though in of a course. very weird way. Like it, it does seem like you're going this mile that only you will ever know about. But it does. It, I think it. I think it did fin- translate into the finished mm-hmm. product. Oh, I think so for sure. And that was. I like that Chewbacca uh, miniseries a lot. It was oh, really. It was warm. I mean, it's what you wanted from a Chewie book. I. You know what? Chewie was always the character in Star Wars that's getting you out of trouble. He's yeah. everyone else is throwing you into this into trouble and i i do i have such affection for for chewy yeah i think everyone does you know <laughs> big giant you space ape that like save that saves the empire and doesn't get a medal <laughs> for it and of course I, I don't know like you latch onto something in a character right and try to bring that forward to tell your story uh, yes and chewy especially because we don't understand his dialogue is universal right mm-hmm. everyone can universally love this creature that is that you know, you, you, everyone understands him, and uh, while no one understands, him. <laughs> yeah, it's he's like Charlie Chaplin, yes, in that way, for sure. It's interesting. Um, what was that in uh, Guardians for you? You know, you're dealing with. I'm curious, actually, first to hear, were you pitched 
the characters? Like, were you meant to use the characters that appear in the movie? Well, uh, I was asked. Uh, they uh, Marvel knew that. Uh, Brian was going to be saying goodbye to the characters mm-hmm. around the time of the second movie. And they said, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, that would be wonderful. I, you know, they'd say you would have to obviously scale back on the other work. And that would probably mean saying goodbye to uncanny. And mm-hmm. that was hard because I loved writing, you know, probably in my top uh, five comic books of all time would be the the Claremont, mm-hmm. you know, X Men run and the burn, yeah. burn and, and and so to be able to write a book that that has Avengers and X Men on it has was such a gift. It was to such inherit a great that from Remender. It's, and, yeah. yeah, it's such a fun lineup of characters. It's so good and to Rogue, bounce off each other. Yeah. yeah, and I give Tom uh, the editor a lot of credit because he, I didn't want to make the book a dead book mm-hmm. and he was like we'd like Deadpool there and he goes but I have a curveball for you what about Cable and I was like well now like I have to go away and think about all of this again <laughs> but it was a great suggestion it was one that that uh, you know I would not have had the stones to come up with on my own but the getting yeah. back to how I was envisioning the Guardians I knew that it was going to arrive in stores roughly around the time of the movie and I think as important as it is to long-term fans that, you know, we do, quote, fan service for w- what they want. Mm-hmm. I also am aware that, like, we want to be accessible to a reader who would go, oh, this is a New Guardian story. I, yeah. I, and so at the moment when our story begins, the team does look like the MCU version of it. Mm-hmm. However, it's not, it won't look like that for very long. And um, interesting. Y- y- in a f- there, there's an entire uh, you know a handbook of really cool cosmic characters uh, who will start to weave in pretty slowly, and they won't necessarily become guardians at first. Um, but I think over time you'll see the the roster change, and for very I think organic reasons. You know, for some of them it might be impossible to stay around but in the in the case of Gamora she's been the one that I think has been the the character with the unexpected find for me hmm. you know she was billed as the world the, the galaxy's deadliest woman and I was like well if she's going to earn that you know let's let's put let's put her through her paces and so I found a real darkness in her that uh is creating a lot of stories so she's actually driving a lot of That's the cool. stuff going on she's hiding some details of what she's doing from the guardians on the outset and um, by the time we get to issue three uh i think if we stick the the landing right on it it will that will become a real um uh, inciting incident for the the whole what i hope will be a a long run you know i'm spoiled again (laughs) i'm like by year three of Guardians of the Galaxy, and, and they may go, yeah, let's uh, let's get the hook, Duggan. Yep. You know, this is <laughs> wrap it up in by the eight. toilet. Yeah, wrap it up by eight. What script did you just turn in? Yep, <laughs> that's a great yeah, that's, finale. Yeah, that's that, perfect for a book. <laughs> no, let's wrap it up. Um, uh, that's an interesting way because she would seem a tricky character to me. So finding the way into that one. Um, what about the others? What about Peter Quill? Well, at the moment, I thought the the <laughs> the weirdest thing I could do is almost make him the most competent and together at the outset. <laughs> and what would that say about everyone else? Uh, Groot is 
compromised uh, at the beginning, and we don't we don't understand readers and the guardians mm-hmm. won't understand why he is not growing back. And uh, you know, the I've seen a lot of it. I, I've taken a lot of hell online of just going, "You like baby Groot," and I'm like, Groot looks immature but he's not a baby he's still Groot in this he's just physically compromised and I think by the end of issue one you'll go oh man what the you know (laughs) it's a bummer it's a huge bummer it's a bummer but uh, (laughs) but it's a good story I I hope so there's a really long like messed up story to tell there and I'll tell you when the mics are when when we're when we're off, when we're <laughs> off, I'll, I'll run you through it. You can that's cool. Give me any notes, but, sure. the, but that's why I have people yeah. <laughs> tell them no, how this things is, should be done. You, you got to climb Nerdist Mountain up that's the right. yeah, up the stairs and, and right. go go see the guru. Uh, Drax uh, is not violent at the moment. And yeah, is that was that from you? Is that something you yes. inherited? I yeah, thought that was no. Neat. It was like we're jumping a little bit ahead in okay. time from the end of uh, Brian's run to the beginning of mine and then what we're going to do is we're going to have Aaron tell his stories Aaron's uh, doing the free comic book day Mm -hmm. issue issue one issue two we're going to have a guest artist come in Fraser Irving comes in and tells Gamora's story and then that will change a lot of Mm -hmm. ideas about what's happening Uh, and then eventually after each guardian gets a solo story that helps answer a question Mm -hmm will be back to running completely in, in order. So we have a, a, a second arc uh, that's being drawn right now that uh, has, I think, a good opportunity for some comedy, but it's also, uh, a, you know, the darkness is sort of falling a little bit there. And then in the third arc, a lot of the Groot stuff comes back oh, in a really cool, fun way, I hope. It's juggling a lot of storylines, too. Well, I, mean, I had and to it's jump. only a handful of characters. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Uncanny Avengers, you know, Deadpool was f- so much fun, but, you know, it was impossible not to give him the spotlight. Mm-hmm. In Uncanny Avengers, I hope, even though Deadpool is in that book, I hope he didn't dominate it and you got I, th- I got a good crash course in going, oh, all of these guys, less is more, let it breathe, have a character moment. And so some of that is is starting to really settle into the way that I write team books. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, you know, again, I, I'm when the, I know even if I don't love something on the page, it always comes back better, you know, or it, it, it comes back and it allows me to, like, tweak my work mm-hmm. to match that art and so I'm always so grateful to, to see the boards come back and go oh man they save this <laughs> yeah. we often talk about it being like working with an actor that like yeah. I can do an okay job and if I have a really good actor or a really good artist they're going to make that thing work or elevate it or change it in some way that it's uh, unexpectedly great and some artists are have better acting skills right mm-hmm. I mean like there's like just you know the like I've been very lucky especially in comedy you can have someone that is the most talented artist in the world but sequentially sometimes like you're they're not going to be able to necessarily tell a joke and then yeah. you go well i'm going to pull back then and we're going to find another way to really make something land so it is it's it is working with actors is a perfect way to describe it I, that, i'm curious about that though like was there is there a kind of audition process or when you're put with an artist or do you just sort of discover this 
person's strengths and then you you lean into that you know um in the in my case it was always i felt so lucky just to have a job and then it was just like <laughs> sure. thank you for not asking me to draw it you know like right. it was like thank god but i do i've found that i've really clicked with a, a few um people over the years starting with well look starting with tony moore mm-hmm. going oh my god you know tony moore i never thought i'd ever get to collaborate with tony mm-hmm. and then when look tony that was Tony's last story was the first Deadpool arc that, that launched us. You know, he's doing a lot of covers now. I felt very grateful to, to be a part of that. But then Scott Koblish came in. Uh, he's a, uh, an artist that was uh, a Ramita Raider. Have you ever heard that term? Mm-mm. Back in the day, John Ramita would train people to f- correct art. And so oh, wow. they would do the art corrections in the bullpen rather than right. send them back out. And so he had to be good in every style. And so on oh, Deadpool, we would just use that <laughs> DNA that he has to t- travel through time. You know, we'd be in the 60s. We'd do stories in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. And he could do it all. And so, oh, yeah, at the, in the our first story, uh, Brian and I, P- Posehn and I had this uh, idea years ago that was... Um, Iron Man, uh, uh, the legends of drunk Iron Man, the armored Avengers, most intoxicating tales. And they were like, we're never going to publish this, but we ended up being able to squeeze it into a Deadpool story. And Scott drew sort of, Hey, here's a pirate Deadpool. Here's a, here's a seventies, you know, Deadpool. And we used all of it. We just were like, we're going to write, uh, stories around these drawings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so, yeah, you you find people that you click with. Matteo Lolly is another guy that uh, can really sell a joke. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, along with Hawthorne, uh, Mike Hawthorne and Scott, have been this amazing spine of, of Deadpool for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in something, in approaching something like Guardians, people are expecting the humor. Yeah. Whether it's, I mean, it's built into the character. You've, it's a talking raccoon, for God's It's a sake. talking raccoon. You know, it's it's built in. It's expected now because, look, they've got one hit movie and it seems like another movie. There's, this is, you expect to laugh. Um, I hope you'll find that the things that we're laughing at are super messed up in the comic book, you know, <laughs> and, and hopefully I'll surprise you about how, I did the dumbest joke that still makes me laugh. I'll just tell you what it yeah. is. I don't, there's a, somebody messes with Star-Lord's sound system. And so is mm-hmm. at the moment, I, I think he's said something. He feels proud of himself. And he's like, let's hits play. And uh, the Proclaimers pops up yes. very loud. And he's like, come on, guys. quit!" You know, and it's still it's not the funniest joke in the world. But to see it lettered on a page, yeah. you go, oh, it's we made the font giant and it's super loud. And so there's all cells. I mean, the look on his face. Yes. Sells, which is so great. And Aaron being able to draw the annoyance. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, that acting uh, is so yeah. important. It's That's so cool. important. You know, most of your work has been for Marvel and working in for this big company and sort of contending with the dictates of the company, the mandates of the company and sort of the big things they have going on. Now, you talked about how, like, you got to find the stuff in Deadpool where you can play into the big crossover uh, event that they're doing. Um, But I'm curious about balancing that stuff because it seems like there are a lot of them. Sure. So it's it's always it's almost like a two or three times a year you have to find a way into these. Uh, you do, events. although, and the thing, and maybe this gets talked about, maybe it doesn't. I've never um, been told I have to t- 
tie in with something. Oh, really? Yeah, there's always the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not every book does. There have been a few instances. I mean, f- I guess, for instance, you know, there was a discussion of would the Guardians be a part of this upcoming secret empire? And I think what we ended up finding was that, look, it, it would be the wrong time to try and do that mm-hmm. in our first you know, launch window. And yeah. so that was the end of the discussion. Um, but in the case of Deadpool, you know, uh, uh, Original Sin gave us a chance to go back and s- sort of let the readers in on something that Deadpool didn't know that happened and that we could bring forward later. And it is, um, you know, there are events, although I think it sounds like um, Secret Empire will be the last Marvel one for a little while yeah, and we're going to let it um, let things organically uh, build. Um, but, you know, uh, they want me to succeed. They want the book to succeed because that success is also their success. And they've gotten, you know, the editors have been very protective. You know, I haven't really ever, I've only ever had one script that was asked for a major rewrite that made the, and that's not bad in 125 issues where, yeah, sure. Everyone's had notes, but to really only have one, you know, sent to the scrapyard is, is not the end of the world. No, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, the, the bigger question is sort of like these universes are, are puzzles in totally. many ways. And there are, you know, a bunch of editors sort of looking after different characters. And I know like everybody wants to play with Hulk and everybody wants to play with Doctor Strange. So I guess it's finding the pieces of those puzzles who aren't otherwise tied up. Yeah. I, and Hulk is a good example because Hulk, my Hulk was like the Rage Cage Hulk. It mm-hmm. was like shredded pants. Right eating a back end of a police horse or whatever horrible <laughs> thing the Hulk was doing. And then, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde of it all, that was yeah. what I really wanted to play with. But I had an opportunity just, I knew I only had 12 issues, but I was inheriting a smart Hulk. Mm-hmm. And that was not have been the choice that I would have made. However, it did force you to go, well, how is this Hulk different? And I, you know, I, 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 I'm as proud of that Hulk's, story is anything you know we because i made him slowly realize that he was going to lose this intelligence and then you go well god what a tragedy yeah you know like to give the hulk alzheimer's you know or or the knowledge that he will one day be in the shredded pants is worse than running around in the shredded pants yeah um there's great humanity in in the story Yeah, yeah that's interesting uh, but not never something I would have done. So there's always this right. like, I, and I always am quick to anger. So I'm always like, God, fuck. And then you sort of take a breath and you're like, yeah, you know, there's something I might be able to do there. Right. I don't watch any of these cooking shows, but I imagine that's what it's like where they're like, <laughs> you're given the, ingredients. yeah, you're given the ingredients <laughs> and you're that's like funny. asked to sort of make a soup. Yeah. And speaking of soup, I think we're in this moment now of, Hey, could right, go anywhere. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I'm very hungry and good day, sir. Yeah, I'm out. Well, we had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this thing that's happening now where I think comics are being dissected about why they work or why they don't work. Hmm and who is to blame and who deserves the credit. And to me, it's always like trying to dissect what you like about a meal. Hmm. Who cares how it arrived there as long as you agree that there were multiple people that are due to be credited with it. So when we talk about art cred or writer cred or what moves a needle or what doesn't, it's mm-hmm. still a team of people. And so I look online and I, I, I actually am not, 
I'm trying not to read Twitter as much as I have been these days. I think days. it's smart. Yeah. I think anyone who's out making things, yeah. like, 40% you can look. And I think that's generous. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. it's just... Because it can it can kill you, or you can get can wrapped up in these conversations, or whatever it is that like it's not part of the process. Most of the people, yeah, that are are having a reaction to the work are not tweeting the pos- You're not seeing <laughs> yeah. the positive people. They're just happy and grateful, and if they're going to talk about it, they might shoot an email to a friend to say that they like something. Right? They're the boo birds are the people that are out on, <laughs> out to get you, and it, it can I yeah it can knock you off your game. Yeah. If you're making something, just trust that you're going to like it and hope that someone else does. Yeah. And there is in comics, as in TV, as you know, like. The next one is right around the corner, so you just got to keep doing it. Yes. And if you get wrapped up in this other stuff, you're going to lose that ability to to be on the train. Totally. And there is this sense with comics, too, right, that we want to see these heroes be heroes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're going to get down and cynical, and look, I know this is crazy coming from a Deadpool writer, but, but like, you know, you want to be able to have something that you would want to go into a store and buy yourself. That's You owe it to anyone who's going to pick up that book to go, well, I would have spent the 17 bucks or 18 yeah. bucks or whatever on, a, yeah, on, yeah. on this comic. Well, it's an interesting thing to me, and it's why I was so confounded by, like, the... To use a very big exam, recent example, the, the response to uh, the Steve Rogers uh, yeah. being a Hydra agent, yes. right? Like, these are stories, their You've stories. seen the beginning of this story. Can you trust that it's going somewhere? There is this sense that because you're telling a story now, there that you as a storyteller are somehow validating the choice of the villains or something. That you're you're okaying fascism or you're okaying, and right. it's like you know what we need villains. Yeah, and this is gonna this is gonna be maybe the dumbest sounding thing I've ever said. But I try, and I think I have. I think my more successful stories have been the stories where I wrote the villain. Mm-hmm. I played the villain, and these villains are horrible people. And I accept that I'm casting myself as the bad guy. And then you let the heroes figure it out. And like I, so yeah. When I wrote the Red Skull in Uncanny Avengers, it was a great joy to write. S- such a sadist who at that moment had telepathic powers, you know, and, and, and then the heroes sort of told me how they wanted to deal with it. And mm-hmm. it was sometimes that's where interesting things happen where Absolutely. I wouldn't have thought that yeah. I was, if you focus on the villains, the heroes will take care of business. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think there's also between television and the better films and novels and comics, like, as consumers of stories, we are now savvier than ever. Yeah. And so a story has to kind of be, your character should be complicated. The, the yeah. ways in and outs of stories should be, yes, splashy, but more so complicated, leave you places to go. Yes. And especially in what are the longest running violent soap operas. <laughs> yeah. Where I, you want to leave a character or a book or a title or whatever it is, uh, hopefully with a little bit more fertilizer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I know I'm, you know, the, and, and some things get undone, you know, and they get undone quick, but I, you can't be 
precious about it. Going yeah. back to what you said before, that's someone else's story. Yeah, it's not like they collected all the comic comics <laughs> right. and burned them in the street. They're still out there. Yeah, you I, got to tell that story, and people got to enjoy it or not, whatever or it not. is. But yeah. but yeah, at least at least you got to do it in in uh, the way you wanted. I I thought there were too many hulks once, uh-huh. <laughs> and. and and I was in a unique position as the writer of the Hulk to do something about it. And yeah. I thought, oh, this smart Hulk is going to go, hey, these, you guys are all weapons of mass destruction. I'm going to depower you. And it made, I think, for a really fun story. And, you know, 20 minutes after I left the book, I was like, there's Red Hulk again. He's fine. You know what? His mustache so is red. <laughs> I was so bummed. I was like, finally, someone is doing something about all of these Hulks. We have a real Hulk problem. Yeah. yeah. We were overrun by Hulks. <laughs> finally, Jerry's getting in there. He's cleaning up the Hulk situation. Oh, they're all back. Yeah, they're oh. back. All right. <laughs> I guess you guys wanted to use them. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. I know that guy is a statue and a toy and a lunchbox. <laughs> right. He was going to be okay. The there is run, some of that, right? But there like is. You don't. Char- everybody yeah. loves some character, no matter how and much someone else doesn't like it or how obscure it is. But that is such a true, and that became crystal f- clear to me on Nova. There mm-hmm. is such a rabid fan base for Nova, for the original Nova in particular, where it is. It's true. Everyone is every character is someone's favorite. Mm-hmm. There's a guy out there with a w- really wonderful sketchbook of Modoc. It's like an <laughs> Alex Malev Modoc, and then a, oh, here's awesome. Alex. You know, that's the Modoc yeah. guy. He's going to cons, having people draw his favorite character, living his life Which as is a, a delight. One. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I like to see those different versions. Oh my god, so great. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Um, so, what is you know we we've sort of talked about this a little bit, but what is the mark you're putting on Guardians? What do you think you're bringing to it? I'm uh, hopefully... Well, here's the thing. I'm inheriting a family. We've seen them. They've earned that. I don't have to justify that. They they are a family. But now it's time for family secrets to bubble up and threaten to destroy a family. Great. And, and, uh, and in... In looking at what I hope are the will be the success of Guardians, I am trying to create situations for these artists to come in and have fun, tell a story that you can pick up and then put down, and you will have read a story. You won't have read part 17 of a story. That's the real trick that... And it's especially hard when you're writing out of order, which you have to do. Sure. I had to jump eight issues ahead. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. That's really interesting. But it helps, though, when you can be really organized. And now Mm -hmm. I have... But it's it's like I have a color-coded outline so I can see where things are being collected. Uh And... It 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 helps, you know, if I had a board, I guess I would do it, but I don't have a board this big, so it's <laughs> right. on a computer screen. And it, if the stories do connect in the way that I hope that they do, I really do want to create an emergency out in the cosmos that would affect eventually the entire Marvel Universe. Awesome. That would be the goal is just to go, (laughs) hey, man, like I don't I'm never maybe going to be invited into space again while I'm out here. I better cause as much trouble (laughs) as I can. Uh, And and that's that's the goal. I have that. I know I have that. Um, And I hope I get to to do it. But I am I'm taking those guardians and then I'm I'm going to uh, really. And I say this, you know, this is probably 
not a secret or if it is it's okay i'm launching now anyway we're going to be seeing a lot of the old marvel cosmic characters return and i have a, a i have a job to do there i have to reintroduce them because look i'm we're we're here at meltdown i'm looking down not all of those people are going to know who Adam Warlock is, Absolutely. or Phi Lavelle, or even the deeper cuts. You yeah, know, like there are definitely. Uh, you know, it's it's a job to be able to reintroduce them and not feel like you're just this is like the reintroduction issue. Yeah. you know, where we're well, but uh, it's fun to to do. And and look, uh, also, and I say this just structurally, it's okay to sort of look at it and go. Oh yeah, don't forget this is a western. Like mm. you I, I when I give myself a pep talk, I'm like, "I yeah, you've seen every western in the world." And so the Nova Corps have you know an opposite m- number now. They have the Shi'ar the Raptors will have gone from in the old days they it was a lie that they were the cops of the universe that they were telling to one character called Darkhawk. And now I'm like, "Well, why not? Why isn't that true?" And the Novas were gone, so yeah, make them a police force. So now you have sort of the Texas Rangers and the <laughs> Feds. You know, That's neat. it's it's fun. It's That's a fun, fun place to play. Yeah. Um, are there <clears throat> as we begin to wrap up? Are there sure. characters, at, existing characters at at either of the big companies that you would love to get your hands on? Oh, man, you know, I've been so lucky in the the short, relatively short time doing this that I, I'm, I there was one week. Where I had a Hulk comic, a Deadpool comic, and a Batman comic all on the <laughs> shelves at the same time. And it was like, you feel like you're, you know, the, the Make-A-Wish kid. You know? <laughs> it was a terrible way for us to find out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but what a great end. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, you, you really did well. Uh, uh, no, yeah, you that's know, really exciting. It's, uh, so I've been very lucky. There are, on the Marvel side, too, now I get to sort of figure out a way to brings some of that forward Mm -hmm. and look i loved quasar as a kid you know i read all but but it's funny if i had had to buy all of that i wonder what my life would be like (laughs) you know (laughs) essentially that's funny yeah i don't know there's something too i mean you did this so well in deadpool about introducing new characters and really making them part of the fabric of that the main character's story that like i remember i was talking to a um the writer who is doing the Doctor Who spinoff. And he said, people are asking him all the time, are you going to use this character? Are you going to use this character? And he said, yeah, I'm going to use some of them, but imagine getting to create a character and then have it be part of that canon. Like, that's really cool. That's really exciting. It's exciting, you know, and and, uh, it made sense to me because I didn't... I felt like if I had immediately opened up with Blind Al and Weasel... Mm -hmm that I would be in danger of ruining those other Deadpool comics that I loved. Right? I mean, if I screw up spectacularly, at least you could go, well, somebody, Deadpool's resilient, but you did X, Y, and Z to the supporting cast, and now they're broken. Mm -hmm. And so there was this fear that still sort of exists about being too rough with the toys. Mm -hmm. Um, But but they are malleable and, and, you know, I I appreciate the kind words. You know, we we opened up with a new cast around him because we thought that we would have some ownership. Mm -hmm. And I haven't killed many characters. 
This is so bizarre, but we Tony Moore drew Scott Adsit. Do you know Scott? Yeah. So it was like, the funniest seeing Scott pop up. This was now years ago. Years ago. Years ago <laughs> now. And so this is totally bizarre. And this ties back into Guardians. But the, 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 really quickly, all of a sudden we had a supporting character where I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to kill Scott. You know, he's a buddy. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so let's try and play defense. So you're constantly trying to oh defend God. against Scott dying. <laughs> but now I go, well... I better take Scott with me into space because if I yeah. leave him here, who knows what's going to happen to him? The next guy might just ask Scott adds it. Yeah, so Scott's in Deadpool 30, but it's his last Deadpool issue. Amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah, that it's is awesome. I'm trying, constantly trying to protect him now. Oh, my God. I, well, listen, someone has to be his bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. I don't That's trust really any of other creative teams no. not to murder him. <laughs> They'd have to be heartless. Um, we'll just wrap up by asking what you are reading these days. What's what's getting you real excited? What can't you wait to read every month? You know, um, what's the Lincoln book that I just got? Mike Drucker uh, emailed me know. and said, uh, Link, uh, Lincoln in the Bar. Oh, Bardo. yeah, yeah. The new... Um, Brand new novel. Uh, ghost, yes, a ghost, Lincoln and the Bardo. They had me at Ghost Story and Abe Lincoln. Yeah, so which is I've, getting phenomenal reviews. It's got great reviews. I haven't cracked it yet, but hopefully by the time you listen to this, I will have finished it, and then you could all uh, come at me. Um, really uh, loving um, the Remender universe of the Image Comics, uh, the... the uh, Black Science and Low and just uh, they're all so good. Deadly Class. So I'm I'm reading a lot of um, that. I am I'm reading and loving so many of the Marvel comics. You know, Jason's Thor. Oh, I think is going to be remembered in the same way that I think Walt Simonson's is. And I, I wouldn't right. just say that to anyone. But no, um, no, it's really he's he's. Defining that character in new ways and doing things that haven't been done. And, yeah. and it's just, it's such a great ride. The coolest thing about the last Marvel retreat I was at, I don't, you don't go to every retreat. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, at, but I was there when we were talking about, well, what's the, Jason sort of walked oh, neat. us through what, and like to sort of hear him tell it, it was just like, oh, was so cool. I That's can't awesome. wait to get to this. And you're kind of mad because it's also kind of spoiled, but you're kind of <laughs> glad that in case I get hit by a bus tomorrow, at least I, I know. But the best is when you hear that stuff and it gets you more excited. Oh, like, so I can't excited. wait to see it totally done, you know. And to be able to reflect certain things, too, it doesn't always line up publishing-wise, but to know that, you know, that certain things can then be played with in new ways is is it's inspiring. By the way, really quickly, and this is when I was a kid... Uh, go to conventions, everybody. Mm-hmm. If you want to make comics, go be a part of the community. Walk into Artist Alley. Don't worry about the stuff that's happening that where it's really loud and there are dancers <laughs> and everything else. Right. Find people you want to make comics with and then make comics. Even if your goal is to one day, one day write Batman, you, you're going to have to hand an editor a comic book that you made or you, you won't be considered for the job. It's usually... Yeah. You, or, you, or you need another way in. You need uh, you know a thrilling adventure hour or you need a novel or Wild something. Wild success in a stage show. Well, you know, but <laughs> in all seriousness, look, that's yeah. enough. Someone goes, hey, you made something, right? You can it's tell like, a story. You can tell you a story. Know. And, and um, when I was a kid... I went to uh, a Nyack, New York Comic-Con in a high school gymnasium. Oh, my God. Walt Simonson, who lived not far away, 
my buddies and I, we bugged him. Uh, how do you say Thor's hammer's name? Because awesome. how do you say your name? So he's, <laughs> right. You know, you, you, you know, we argued about both things for a long time. Anyway, long story short, Walt was in the middle of writing and drawing Fantastic Four at the time. And what he did was the coolest thing in the world and it changed my life. He opened up a folder and he took out all of the thumbnails for the issue and then he gave us each a thumbnail and he goes you can look at the thumbnail on the page and this is how you make comics huh. very crudely sort of throw it together and now you got the story right. but I think without that I w- it, it still to me would have been a mystery mm-hmm. you just needed someone not to take the magic away but to like give you a little bit of magic to spend absolutely and Walt still to this day like I, his work still excites me Ragnarok he's doing at IDW and mm-hmm. I'm reading a lot I'm re- going back and rereading a lot of old stuff too uh, just uh, Marvel Cosmic stuff just mm-hmm. to sort of see if there are some old things t- that I could dust off and then you know longer runs you know I reread Walt's Thor cool and yeah. it holds up Oh, like, it's so first of all, good. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And, you know, the inspiration for the stuff that we're doing with Groot in Guardians comes from uh, at the beginning of Walt's Thor, you're seeing uh, a figure um, forge a sword. And that's mm-hmm. all you know. And it creates a big, long emergency that became this cool story. And Funny. if I can sort of borrow from that to go, hey, here's something that you're going to see running in the background for a little while, and then it's going to heat up and burn everyone, great. That's cool. That's yeah. really inspiring. And again, everything's available. Right? You don't have to live there. in a comic book store. You no. can get this stuff online. You can go to a comic book store and get these big compendiums. So it's, it's like the best time to be a comics fan. Yep. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for Guardians, having me. Guardians, uh, it, it starts with the free comic book day issue? Actually, you would think so. Oh. <laughs> but it's uh, the Wednesday Sorry. before, you know, is free comic book, is issue one. Okay. And then Saturday, May 5th, free comic book day, a separate 10 pages, brand new 10 pages oh, okay. for free. Um, both uh, lovingly drawn by Aaron Cooter. They're, they look so good. Yeah, and they, so they read good. so good. I mean, people Thank are, you. I think people are going to dig well, this. Knock uh, on wood. I, I, I hope so. Um, you know, I'd hate to be the guy that <laughs> belly flops on... You'll find a different. Weekend. You'll find a different book to ruin. Don't worry, this isn't the one. I believe in wait, you. Wait till you get Spider Man or something. That'll be the one you tank. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a holes. This is the first time it's really started to feel surreal, I would say. How so? Just because it's finally out, and we, me and my, my buddies from grad school and I, I cooked this idea up really like 2011 or 12, and we started developing it for real in mm-hmm. 12. And we sold it to one place. We sold, we sold it to Sonar, and we sold it to, to in early, thir- mid-13, to... Um, like Xbox was going to be really? Netflix. So they yeah. hired all these good people and uh, <clears throat> they, yeah, they were going to, they were going to like be another distribution right. platform. And so they bought, they bought it and then, uh, and they bought it based on a pitch, a pitch. Well, we, we'd written um, uh, two hours of scripts then 
Mm-hmm. So, so no, they they knew what they were getting. Okay, I mean everyone, even AMC, you know, um, no, they they had we had uh, we th- thought of it first as an eight hour thing, so we'd outlined the whole thing beat by beat by beat, eight hours mm-hmm. of it, and a finite two hours. Story, yeah, and then we went to AMC. They read all that stuff, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't do limited series." I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, "Fuck, man!" But they're like, "We'll buy it." But so, which was nice. So we left the room. And they're like, "Oh, we'll buy it." You know, just so you know, we're buying it. Right. But but we're not going to buy. But it's got to be an ongoing. But it's got to be ongoing. Yeah. So that's so we pivoted. And we're like, okay, so how do we do? We can do the book probably in five or six seasons. So we spent the next two years outlining that. Wow. And just like hundreds of pages of documents. Like, how what do five seasons of this or six look like? Um. And uh, finally, when they, you know, I mean. When, when that was done, and then like many more scripts, you know what I mean? Just sort of like, yeah. try this, try this, okay, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Just you, Interesting. Your, your job is to like make the people who write your checks comfortable. Like, that's actually your main job. You know, you're, there's a little bit of this creative for sure, but there's actually the, it's not, it's not more important necessarily, but it's the part that's 90% of the actual work. Um, which I'm listening to like other show creators talk about this, and no one <laughs> seems to be telling the truth, which is like most of your job is to like convince other people. To write you checks or convince other people whose sure. jobs are on the line, because you know the in Hollywood, like the you know the stick is bigger than the carrot for these executives. So if something goes wrong in the show, they get fired. You know, and so like every time they back something, they've got to be just like swallowing, just like fuck, man. Like, <laughs> you know, and that is how it works. So you know, it's, they have they're very difficult jobs, and no one really gives them credit for like when they sign up to your. It's not their project; it's yours. Yeah. When they sign off, their ass is on the line. Yeah. Huge risk. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, so so it makes sense. So, yeah, so two years of, like, pretty intense. I mean, dude, like, hundreds of pages of, like, single-space document, how the arc would look and how the characters are and what are the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was uh, it was something. And that's, then, an, that's amazing. <laughs> that's something. I, w- I want to talk about I sort of want to go deeper on some of that Whatever stuff. Whatever you want, man. Yeah, yeah. We're doing it. This is We're already recording. Oh, we are? Okay, uh, good, good. Okay, we can good. cut any of that out if you want to cut it out. But <laughs> Goddamn shit, piss it's fuck. All, uh, it's all valuable stuff. <laughs> yeah. Philip Meyer is here. Um, he's the creator of The Sun uh, on AMC, which premieres when? April 8th. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a, a renowned novelist. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Well, you're out of practice. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not just talking about it in a while. Well, we'll talk about some of that stuff too. Um, but we're talking about the the development of the sun. Yeah. And this years long process. Yeah. Um, as you're so you're creating all of these documents. You're creating yeah. all of these pages. Yeah. And turning them into AMC, you know, even once they know that they want the show. Oh, um, so so getting picked up to so there's a sort of a two step process getting picked up the series. First, they're like, you know, I had no production experience. I'd never even been on a TV set, mm-hmm. so I had no idea what I was doing. And um, finally, they're like, okay, we're we're gonna give you we're, we're gonna make sure. Also, they didn't know I could play well with others. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, so. We're going to hire a couple, some writers. We're going to hire a showrunner. And All of whom like, had television experience. Oh, exactly. Well, one guy didn't, but we knew. Sure. Smith Henderson is a brilliant novelist. He's a good friend of ours. We forced them to, to hire him. Um, you know, because everyone's nervous about the TV experience thing, which, to be honest, after, after coming from a complete outsider and now seeing the whole thing through, um, 
the, the, the business does remind me of, of like, I worked on Wall Street for a couple of years, a derivatives trader for a couple of years. And it, it reminds me of Wall Street in which like the barriers to entry are super high, but, but the, the, the work is not, the work is difficult, but it's not, the difficulty is not proportional mm-hmm. to the difficulty of actually getting your foot in the door. That's the really yeah. hard part, you know? So like, yeah, do you have to be smart? Yeah. Do you have to work really hard? Yeah. But is it magic to produce a TV show? I can tell you for sure it's not. You know, it's just a lot of work. And there's yeah. a lot of dealing with people and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know. Were um, you equipped for that? Um, I mean, you I, had, like we said, you have been a novelist I, for some years. I think that's I a lonely was, profession. That, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, you know, before that, I'd done a lot of different jobs. So working at this bank, which is, you know, I worked at a trading floor with a thousand people. Um, and I, so it was just. I'm pretty good with numbers, at least for an artistic person. Um, and then, you know, I managed some, like, retail stores, backpacking gear stores and like, my youth. I was dropped out of high school and just, like, worked in bike shops and outdoor gear shops. So I was sort of used to managing people. Um, used to work with numbers. And also, like, I worked remodeling houses for a couple years. Hmm. And I, like, was ambulance driver for a couple years. So all the things, like, dealing with crisis, like, bad things happening, you have to react right away. Okay, I'd done that. But it was, like, people's lives at stake, not money at stake, so check. And then actually, like, building out sets and, like, knowing how much time it takes a bunch of guys to, like, build shit out. Okay. Like, I did that as my, as my job for several years. So I think I was almost sort of uniquely qualified for, like, a geeky novelist to, uh, you know, to, to come in and switch yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so what did you learn? I mean, you said you'd been developing this with a production company, presumably, or at least with yeah. I mean, a production company. Producers. So, so well, we were the producers. So we had a, we had Sonar um, Entertainment bought it initially before the book came out. So that was four years ago, and then. Yeah, they had a super light touch because we, we sort of knew it. The, the guys I did it with had done one show already, uh, Brian McGreevy and Lee Shimon. They turned one of Brian's novels into a show for Netflix called Hemlock Grove, which is kind of a vampire, werewolfy, mm-hmm. almost YA show in some ways. Um, so they'd already been through one season of that. So they had, they, you know, it wasn't like the three of us didn't know. The, I, I was profoundly ignorant, but they were, they were not. So, um, yeah, we worked with other producers, but it really was us. It was—I mean, when I think about like the thousands of hours that went by. Mm-hmm. It was me and Brian and Lee in a room, or on the phone, or at our computers working. And then mm-hmm. finally, other people began to come into the process. And then finally, AMC is like, "All right, you know, hire an adult, hire a showrunner, Kevin Murphy, um, get some other writers on board, write some more scripts." Um, and then three months after that, they gave us the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, so it was pretty quick after it was, went to AMC. Um, no, it was two years of development before that happened. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So two years of development. Yeah. <laughs> and then at which point we hire a couple of writers, showrunner, and then three months after that we have a series pickup. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, that is... That is an unusual way to do it. Is, to, is it? I have no idea. <laughs> kind of bring in these te- this team and hire all these people. But I guess you guys were writing more than just the first episode. I, I, I mean, in, the thing is, my I was quite confused about this at the time because I was like, well, we can write all of this much quicker than hiring six people, vetting all of them. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, to put together a room, you mean? To put together a room. Like, so my take was like, this is really pointless to put this room together. The three of us can knock this. We can knock out, oh, you want six scripts? We'll knock them out for much cheaper and they'll probably be better um, than we can with a room. Because, you know, 
democracy in art is usually <laughs> like it's too democratic. It's the results not good because mm-hmm. there's an averaging thing that happens. You know, so you, you're always trying to you know you don't want to hurt that guy's feelings, you don't want to hurt that lady's feelings, and, and in the end, you know the the, the, the the sort of the scripts picked up little quirks that um, I mean I think the ideal writers room is about four people mm-hmm. um, which and, you, and you're coming in with three with three already uh, you, you know, so, so we added f- four more set we had it was we were <clears> seven <throat> or eight eight I think we're eight and were you were you proven correct in your assumption or there's no the question work the room <sighs> like what's gained by the room and what do you think was lost by the room what was gained by the room are a couple people who I wouldn't have had contact with. Like in particular, there's one guy named Dan Connolly who is just he's one of these people who sees story so well, and he's you know he he's worked for AMC for a long time. So he's still he's a young guy, um, and he's just one. He's really really good TV writers. He's really good at breaking down story and character and stuff like that. Um, so he, you know. He was a huge advantage, but I feel like everyone else, our tastes were so different that it was just like sometimes we got an hour of work done a day. It's actually quite common that over the over an eight hour work day, we got an hour of work actually done, and we spent seven hours arguing about stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was insane because I was like, "Man, I've moved to L.A. I told you guys this wasn't necessary. I've moved to L.A. and um, but you know, in the end, that was what." You know, back to the subject of like the people who write the checks, who like their jobs are on the line, and, and it's not and again, it's not even their project. You know, so they're sort of the, in, in a way, these execs they kind of are the unsung heroes of Hollywood. And they have really hard jobs, and if something goes wrong, it, it really is their ass. Um, so, you know, you, you have to convince those folks that like you're not an insane novelist. You can work well with others. What are you going to look like on a set, right? All right if you, okay, so let's say they'd done it the way I wanted to do it, which was just let us write all the scripts. Um, I had no production experience. As far as they knew, we, you know, they greenlights with this production. I get to set, and I turn out to be a fucking insane person. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I get why they did it. Um, I think for my future TV work, uh, 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 the writers are my work, and it's gonna be, they're going to be lean just because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I was talking to Nick Pizzolatto about this like two weeks ago. I'm just kind of running all, every, all this stuff by him. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I, I don't even really work with other writers. And I talked to Noah Hawley, who's like, yeah, you know, I have a couple guys I work with or women I work with too, but it's, it's a very small number because it's not efficient. And Nick was like, man, by the time I vet writers and hire them, I could have just written the scripts. So, Were uh, you part of that process in, in putting together the room? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, because I was an okay. executive producer. And, yeah, and, and, so you, you know, hired these people for no, we hi- yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. For, for, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, but still, even you don't know, you know, this, you know, there's someone who can have a really amazing writing sample, amazing script, and then for some reason their tastes are just not what you thought. And then there's the, you know, there's the time of... Uh, there's the kind of getting to know each other where, where okay, if you and I are working on a project, we don't know each other. We have to like make sure that you, that you know, you have to figure out that oh, well, I'm not going to hurt Meyer's feelings, and I have to figure out oh, I'm not going to hurt Ben's feelings. You know I mean, so there's this long, sort of inefficient process to to this thing. So, um, and so I, I have a feeling. I wonder if these writers' rooms are left over from the days of like 22 episode seasons of TV. You know, I, maybe I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, so you were put with Kevin Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, were you guys on the same page? I mean, he's there ostensibly as the showrunner. He knows how to make a TV show. Ke- well, Ke- Kevin's 
brilliant. Kevin's amazing. Um, all operational stuff. Um, you know, we have pretty different backgrounds and we have different tastes creatively. That's just the, you know, you can look at my resume and look at his and, and kind of realize that he's, you know, he's, he's done like really amazing work on kind of like broadcast network shows, desperate housewives and stuff like that. Um, but, um, no, creatively we were <laughs> I'd say often not, or mostly not on the same page. I and mean, that's, that's, that's just mm-hmm. the reality. Yeah. You know, and you can, so how do you work? That's normal. Well, the network yeah, it's not unusual. The, to yeah, it's just right, right. The the, the network works it out. Mm-hmm. Th- that's how it works. How it works is the network says, "This is the tone of the show. This is the voice of the show. This is how the show is supposed to look, sound, and feel." And whoever's doing that is who sort of gets backed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that might vary on like a day-to-day basis. Well, that's an know? interesting so. thing. I mean, this is your source material. Yeah. You, this yeah. thing has been your baby for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now to hear you tell it, they're saying they're dictating what the show is going to be. They, 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 they have to. Well, I mean, so again, it's my first time. So they, there's no, you know, it's one of the more expensive shows they've done. It's one of the more ambitious shows they've done. And quite intelligently, they had to vet me and make sure that I was like, capable of doing this. If I were them, I would have done exactly the same stuff. You know, there's just a lot of hoops to jump through. It totally made sense. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's, you know, now I think I think it, it, would, it would be different. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, th- I think the showrunner creator thing is just like that. Yeah, everyone you talk to is just like, oh yeah, there's just always, you know, they never agree on this. You know, because in a way, the people who are the type of showrunners who would work on someone else's show are pretty fundamentally different than, like, you know, Noah Hawley, Nick Pizzolatto, David Simon. You know, those people are like, you know, they're they're writers first, and they always have non-writing executive producers as their kind of right-hand men or women who, like, knock out the logistical stuff. So, yeah. Would that have been more valuable to you, do you think? Um, Yeah, for sure. But the fact is, like, you're so lucky to have a job like this um, that you cannot you you have to expect to go through the normal process at least the first time or you're a crazy person you don't think they're gonna you know give you 50 million dollars and just be like yeah kid oh you've never done this before here's 50 million bucks just whatever you want to do man it's cool just do it yeah so uh yeah uh do you feel that well this is sort of a a two-pronged question but you've written the novel yep you've told this story (laughs) um do you feel that adapting it for television was redundant? Do you feel that the thing on the screen is the story you wanted to tell? I, how do you, how do you mm-hmm. retell that story mm-hmm. or how do you change it to keep it interesting mm-hmm. for yourself? Yeah, and I, well, that, that last point is a crucial one, right? How, like, how do I make it interesting? Because at this point, it's been, you know, 10 years I've been working on this, yeah. this story and these characters. And world. you've told it. And I mean, I've told you've it, done right. it. I've done it. So presumably in the exact way you wanted to. Correct. Right, exactly. exactly. Down to, to the period. In the novel. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Right. No, in the novel you have complete Artistic freedom. I mean, like literally, they can't publish it unless you're happy with every single paragraph and clause yeah. or whatever. And this is obviously the opposite. Um, for me, it was only interesting if you know. I was very proud of the novel. I think it is a piece of art. My only interest in doing this show and any other show was to make art. Um, you know, whether we, we succeeded or not, sort of for history to judge or whatever. You know what I mean? But. Um, 
my interest was never in a, uh, a sort of literal adaptation of the book. My interest was always in telling a story that captured the sort of like nature and sort of philosophies inherent to the book and um, the capture of the world. And so we changed characters, we changed storylines. And to me, this actually is, is what kept it interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have killed myself if it was just like, oh, now we're going to, now we're going to adapt chapter two into a scene. I was like, oh my God, it would have been horrible. Um, so yeah, cause the, well, you, know, you only have so much time on earth, you know what I mean? So the, I think I would have been happy to let someone else do a literal adaptation, <laughs> but but for sure I was not going to do a literal adaptation. There's no there's no way, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, life's too short. You know, you're just repeating yourself again and again if you do that. So, so yeah. in the process of developing it, especially early on, yeah. how do you? What did that look like? You know, how were you pulling out themes? What was of interest to you, and how were you turning it into something else? Sure. Well, I, I, to get on specific stuff more than abstract stuff mm-hmm. quickly um you know we knew so we thought okay if this ends up at, at hbo or netflix or some place like that we'll have a you know 59 minute episode or whatever but if we end up at um like a uh you know a normal cable network that has ads we'll have a 43 minute episode so that immediately we immediately realized this is like right after we sold amc which is 2004 early 2014 that we're going to have to eliminate – the book has three alternating storylines. We knew we'd have to eliminate one. We knew that in 42 minutes we couldn't do three. There's no way. So we shrunk – we knocked out one of the storylines, and eventually we will get to that storyline if we get enough seasons. You know? um, and figured out which one to do was a big thing. And AMC and the other creators and I, uh, Lee and Brian – went back and forth for a couple of months on which two we should do. Hmm. I mean, that was a big debate. Should we do the modern oil woman and the Comanche? Should we do the Eli McCall in 1915 and the Comanche? Should we do the Eli McCall in the modern oil? You know, it was a big debate, and finally we landed on Let's, the current Let me model. interrupt for one second. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that debate. That's really interesting to me that, you know, any of it makes good TV. Yeah. It seems yeah. like there's a lot of good material here. So, so. What were the arguments, and how did you guys land on what you landed on? The the arguments for doing the Jeannie McCullough sections, who's, you know, she's like sort of the final badass member of this badass family who who um, lives entirely in the 20th century and dies in the early 21st century. And um, in the book, we follow her across her entire life. And she's she comes from a wealthy family, but it's crumbling when she's young, and she's the one who kind of turns it around, um, saves them from like losing everything, and then uh, brings the family to the modern age in terms of you know, it had been a big cattle dynasty, and then she turns it into an oil dynasty. And I was kind of in favor of having her as a character because she's like it's a strong, unusual woman that you don't see on TV, even film, you know. Um, but I think in the end we settled on doing sort of Eli McCullough as a young man um, who's played by Jacob Laughlin and Eli McCullough in his later years who's played by Pierce Brosnan. And it just seemed like symmetrical in a super obvious way that we show, show this guy as a young man that we show him, you know, as a, as he's the, he's the patriarch, he's very powerful in the community, in the state um, and his children are grown. And so you see them as, you know, they're, 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 they're middle late thirties. You see sort of the effect that, that this, very powerful man has had on his on his kids, so I think that's we, because of that symmetry and showing the same guy early age and later ages. That's probably why we landed there, mm-hmm. as I remember anyway. Yeah. What uh, what is the show about for you, and is it different to what the book is about? 
God, no, no, they're, they're, they're the same in that way. I mean, thematically, it really is fundamentally like, what do we come from as people? Like, what do we come from as Americans? Um, and, you know, the fancy word is like, what is our creation mythology? But the, you know, the, the normal way of telling is like, what, what stories do we believe define us? And it, fundamentally, in some way, is this idea of the open land and the frontier and this place of like maximum individual freedom maximum individual rights, you know, no interference by the government, the, the idea that sort of like the, the society matters less than the sort of the, 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 the lone man's right to self-actualization or whatever you, you want to call it. Um, and, and that, of course, um, you know, basically the American dream, you know, the, the idea that your history doesn't matter, um, your last name doesn't matter, nothing matters except your uh, you know, your, 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 your willingness to work hard is, you know, you're sort of like your merit as a human basically. Um, and that is fundamentally based on the idea of, of open land, this place where, you know, you could show up, you got to the continent somehow, you show up, go, go out into this wilderness, which wasn't really wilderness. It was completely settled by native Americans, small detail, whatever. And, um, and like seize this land and, and develop it and, and make a name for yourself. Um, but all of that, you know, and that's what the American dream is based on, this idea of like, oh, you can go to this empty place and become whoever you want. You can become something totally new. And that is still is the dream. I mean, this idea that, which you know, to, to whatever extent is still true, this idea that it doesn't, you know, you can become a Rockefeller, you can become Bill Gates, you know, you can, um, you can become whoever you want, basically. So, so tell me about choosing the story to explore that idea because uh, that's that's these are big concepts yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're big questions so how do you do and again we're going back you know probably five six years maybe yeah. longer to the creation of the novel the novel mm, um so I'm, I'm a very inefficient writer and so but i'm willing to jettison like any amount so i probably you know i'll throw out a thousand pages of of of, of my writing without even thinking about it. Once I, once I know for sure that it's not going to go anywhere. So uh, I knew that the only way to tell this was through the story of a family because you had to see the passage of time and you had to see the passage of generations and you had to see the value system shift from the frontier value, which is essentially look out for your friends and family and, and literally kill everyone else um, to, you know, the sort of like late 20th century in which, we uh, uh, mythologize those days and ignore the reality of them, which was like, you know, you, you did kill whoever crossed your path for sure, or you took their land or you took whatever they had. Um, so I knew always it was going to be like a multi-generational kind of story. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know, what I resisted because I didn't know anything about Native Americans and I didn't know anything about Texas and the frontier. What I resisted was telling the 1849 story because I was ignorant about it. So I wrote for about two and a half years before realizing this Eli McCullough character who was captured by Comanches, et cetera, et cetera. It was actually quite a common story in, in, mm -hmm. in the frontier. Um, had to be like the main character, which sounds insane. But, you know, <laughs> but originally the book had like 10 main characters, took place mostly in the 20th century. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's this other guy who I know nothing about. Of course, you know, you know the usual writer thing, I was like running out of money. I, I sort of budgeted the book would take me three years. And then I realized oh, it's going to take me five years. So, you know, last year I was originally writing the book. I lived off credit cards and I was like depleting my savings account to, to zero. I, I mean, when that check from the publisher finally arrived, it was like, oh, I can now I can write this rent check um, because because that, that's like the artist game, right? I mean, you're always you have to make stuff stuff that's pure and um, 
you know, the, 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 the art or the final outcome of your, you know, of your work or the final execution of whatever the thing you're doing, whether it's a novel or poem or film or whatever, um, has to be like the purest and best possible vision. But somehow, <laughs> during the same time, you have to eat and you have to put a roof over your head and you have to pay your car insurance or maybe you have kids, so you have to send them to school. Um, and that's just the fight. Histor- I mean, always, right? That's always the fight. So, yeah, luckily, I think I have a very high risk tolerance. You know, so I, I sort of will, I, I will flog myself as hard as is required to get a result that I want artistically. Um, which I think, frankly, probably may be difficult to work with sometimes on this project because um, <laughs> I never valued being uh, political or diplomatic over <laughs> over um, making sure that that something was good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and frankly, whatever anyone else says, they have to do that. You do not get hired. You know, I'm safe because you know, thanks to the universe and luck, for the moment. I have a stable job as a novelist, right? And so my my incentive to pull punches or to compromise when I really don't believe you should compromise is is not high because I know even if they fire me, I'm, I'll be fine. I'll go back to my nice house in Austin and <laughs> write books, you know. And I think on one hand, people really value that, you know, because they someone has. Not all people have that. Most people don't have that luxury. You can't. You have to get hired again. You can't have a reputation as a pain in the ass, or you, you won't work. Um, and so that was sort of, you know, it was difficult at times. And the message I was getting from everyone was, you have to, Meyer, you have to be nicer. You have to mm-hmm. be nicer. You can't say that. You can't say that. But it's true. It's well, like, what, what yeah. kind of things were you saying? I mean, it, oh, just more protecting, stuff. Like, you're protecting the material. But it's all, you know, it's like other smart people have different ideas about um, how the scene should look or how, what the dialogue should should look like and you're like well yeah that dialogue might have worked on the other shows you've worked on it's you're like 10 orders of magnitude off in quality for this show or for any cable premium show you know but you can't tell people that i mean you know so so that was um yeah and that, and that was you know it was a it was a necessary <laughs> it was a necessary experience i think yeah, yeah so did, did you learn to become diplomatic no you can't. I mean, I mean, you, you, you learn to be, you learn to phrase things in a kind way, but everyone knows what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, yeah, that, that scene isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, you're not going to fool anyone when you're like, hey, man, I'm just wondering if you think about the scene and like, what, oh, you tell me it's not good enough. Well, okay. So, but you but, know, but that is that's that's the job, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the job. That is being diplomatic. That is, yeah, 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 yeah. Is saying this thing in a, a uh, non-combative way. Yeah, 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 and. I would say most of the time it was, it was like that, but people, you know, look, this is, you have a a room full of artistically minded people. And especially if people have just fundamentally different tastes, like you're going to like conflict is unavoidable. And Mm -hmm. again, this is normal. Yeah. This is, this is a normal writer's room. Yeah. So, um, I would say that again, everyone I've talked to is like, Oh yeah, you had a, you know, you you had a great experience because you've made a very good show and, um, somehow it's still your vision. And, um, yeah, you know, shit. There's so much I still have to learn. I mean, again, talking to, uh, to Pizzolatto and Holly, just like realizing the, the, the degree to which those guys are filmmakers, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in this first this first season, I because I was just sort of like sucking information through a fire hose. I never really got into the editing that much. Yeah, you know, I put my notes into all the cuts, mm-hmm. of course. But um, and Kevin Murphy's super, super good about being super, super democratic about that, um, and. Uh, 
Yeah, but I never really got into the filmmaking aspect of it because I didn't understand enough, you know, frankly. So f- future TV projects, that's kind of like the next goal. Like, you know, okay, yeah, I can write scripts. Sure, that's fine. But like, what about, you know, I mean, what about the cuts? What about how the music works? What about like the, the actual filmmaking stuff and how, you know, what's the difference between a good director, a bad director and an okay director and learning that stuff. You know, we had five different directors. It was like quite fascinating to watch everyone work, different styles, different tastes, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, man, it was, it was, it was I, all in all, it was a pretty amazing experience. Um, but I, I, I still, I'm so hungry to get to this next thing, which is, uh, Okay, like the filmmaking thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the next. Well, question. I'm curious to hear. I mean, filmmaking is so collaborative. <laughs> um, and it's not just about the other writers or producers. It's about the actors and the directors yeah, yeah. and the departments. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was that experience for you? I mean, you, you were on set, right? Yeah. During- I mean, I, so, yeah, I live in Austin, and we shot in Austin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was on set, like, like you know generally every day um you know the one time i took like decided to take like, a week off way to reshoot <laughs> entire weeks worth of material because it was like technical battle scenes that i was like the subject matter expert so i was like oh, so, okay well, that cost a bunch of money but um so um so tell me about you know yeah. again you've lived with these characters yeah. for a long time mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you mm-hmm. have actors showing up yeah. to play them so that obviously the most magic the the actual magical part of the whole process was watching the actors become these people and realizing that um, my job as a writer in this case was to support these people. Um, You know, novels are art, poems are art, the words themselves are the final product, but a script is not art. A script is not the final product. Um, You know, no one goes back and reads old scripts. We go and we watch old films, we watch old shows, because the art is what the actors do and the directors do, right? The art is what the the DP does. Um, And realizing that, yeah, I'm sort of part of this artistic team, obviously, and in this way, it's sort of my vision for this thing, but um, that the people doing the real work are in front of the camera. You know, that was... It wasn't humbling because I've been sensing, like, huh, the screenplay writing doesn't scratch my artist itch the way writing novels does. Why is that? And as soon as I saw Pierce Brosnan and Sidney Lucas, who play this, the grandfather and granddaughter, um, it was like the second day we were shooting. It was a very subtle scene. Um, the three members of this family come up on a guy who's been hanged, and the, the son, who's in his mid-30s, gets out to cut down the hanged man. And Eli McCullough, who, who's uh, you know in his seventies, takes his granddaughter, who's, who's about eleven, walks into this kind of field of wild wildflowers, um, away from the hanged man. He, she's basically trying to distract her, but they both know that they both know he's trying to distract her, and she knows there's a dead man behind them. And they talk about these flowers, and they have this really beautiful, like really magical kind of, kind of um, scene. This also very very subtle, and that I was like, oh, okay, I've just watched something that's kind of holy. Like that is art. And that was that was like the real epiphany moment for me. Probably working on the whole project was like, oh, okay, I get it. My job is to help these people, the actors, make art. It's you know, and in a way, even though sort of my vision and sort of the, my words coming out of their mouth, um, it really is about them. 
you know, there's a reason they're famous and the writers aren't, you know, and it's a good reason. I mean, they, they actually are doing, you know, doing the thing. Um, so that wasn't a problem for some reason. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know why, but I never felt, I, I don't think I had very few moments where I at least emotionally remember, um, being angry that the book was being changed or the character was being changed. Cause I was usually the one changing it because I was, I was bored with a book where I wanted to do something else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that might be luck because I've heard of other novelists trying to adapt their own stuff who sabotage the project because they're like, you can't divert from the book. And it's like, you know, and this, this I've heard many examples of the project doesn't go, yeah. you know, the gets killed. Um, but for, for some reason for me, maybe because I started writing with the team, these two other guys, two other creators. Mm-hmm. So I, I never did one lake of work on the adaptation of this thing um, without other people, hmm. you know, so that maybe just sort of like stomped whatever weird proprietary feelings I had <laughs> right out. Well, and also uh, you, you, like we said, you had your chance to tell this. Correct. Did. Exactly right. So yeah, man, that, anything mm, else mm, is sort mm, of extra. Yeah, I th- yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that you're exactly right. That's funny. I literally never thought of that, but I'll, I'll bet that's right. It, 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 it is that, yeah, I felt like I'd already kind of done it. After that, um, you're doing variation. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. And that's yeah, yeah. fun, and that's a neat exercise. Yeah. But I think you're not going to have the same emotional uh, involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the only emotional involvement is like making sure the thing is, 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 is good, or yeah. you think it's good. You know what I mean? yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, man. That's were, you, were you able to, I mean, you've talked a little bit about all of these voices having a say in the project. Were you able to get your vision across is the thing on the screen your vision i i don't know if there is such a thing um and i and this is where you know sort of back to like okay i've done you know four years of developing this thing and then now shooting one season of it and being on the set all the time and you know being deeply involved with every single level of this process but i don't no, like I don't know how much for sure I could have had more control. Um, but I feel very good about the show. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I don't, I also because I'm coming from the perspective of a novelist, which in which, you know, it's super binary. You have control over everything or, or nothing, right? And this is so much muddier. You know, even like a super famous, powerful person, you know, even Steven Spielberg doesn't really have the creative control over his work, not even close, that any novelist has. Mm-hmm. Like the most, you know, debut novelist has way more creative say than even like, you know, Ridley Scott or any, anyone like that, you know, because it's just, you know, it's a collaborative medium. Every time a producer comes on board, they have a say, you know, so. Um, let's talk about the technical aspect of yep. screenwriting. Uh, were you prepared for that? I mean, you did, as you said, you got to work with these two other guys mm-hmm. who yeah. did have some experience. So did yeah. they, did They're both they professional you screenwriters. Had you, seen, had you looked at screenplays? Did you know what even the format looked like? Um, I had, but not much. I mean, mm-hmm. so I started buying books. So these guys, McGreevy and Shipman, are, they're professional screenwriters. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're on the list at a bunch of big studios. I mean, they're actual, you know, they're the real thing. Um, so, so as always, I always knew I was backstopped, which really increases your confidence. Sure. You know, you just know, like, I'm not going to mess it up too badly. These guys will make sure it's okay. So, yeah, the form was strange. And I bought a bunch of books on it, and all of them, like, sucked, basically. You know, they're all just like, you know, whatever. Most people write books on that. They're writing because they're not having success, you know, uh, 
actually may make it work, but um, I ended up just going back to two scripts, which are uh, The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. And so I just read those scripts over and over, and I was like, okay, I, I, I have this. You know? <laughs> what, what did you take out of those? Um, you take on, like, because Apocalypse Now and, and the, 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 those Coppola movies are the movies I probably love most and sort of know best. Mm-hmm. And so when you see, when you uh, read a script um, of a movie you've seen, 20 times, you know, over most of your life, mm-hmm. um, you, 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 perfe- you begin to connect the words on the page with the images in, in your head. And that is a crucial thing for screenwriting. It's like, okay, am I transmit it? A, do I have an image in my head? Right. If you don't, you're <laughs> screwed. <laughs> you know? And then how am I transmitting that to the page, which is just, I mean, so, uh, so, you know, I'm talking to George R. R. Martin about this and who's another novelist who writes screenplays, obviously. And, um, He's like, yeah, if you're, if you're good at structure, which some novels are and some aren't, um, and you're good at dialogue, which most novels are, you can write screenplays. It's a little bit of a ramp up, you know what I mean, for sure. But um, also, when I write novels, the scene is not developing as I type. I usually have to have a very clear uh, uh, picture in my head of the character's physical surroundings. And so... Because I'm that way with books, I think that translates super well to screen. You know, so I sort of know, you know, you know the setting, and once you know the setting, you can kind of let the characters run and, and do what they're going to do organically. And that kind of comes out on the page. Um, so no, I didn't find it too much of an adjustment. I think it probably is a huge adjustment for novelists who are not that aware of structure stuff, which is probably like half. You know what I mean? Like half novels are, half novels aren't. Uh, and one one thing for sure I learned is how to like verbalize structure and story elements, which is novels you don't really have to do because you kind of feel it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're talking to a room of like eight people or four people, you have to be able to n- describe sort of like character and story elements, you know, and that, that was a great lesson to have. You know, yeah. During the uh, process of developing and working on the show on the sun um were you able to write other stuff were you able to write a novel um, when we were developing so again so we were in two years of development with amc before we got a writer's room and during that period well when i wasn't developing the show i was mostly still book touring for the sun because it came out like 25 countries mm-hmm. so i was oh and that was a hardback in france so now there's this paperback in france blah blah, blah. so it's just kind of ping-ponging around the world. So, um, so no, I didn't really write that time. For about a, a month of the writer's room, I managed to work on my, my novel, but the cost was like, you know, 12 hours of work, and you come home, write for four hours, and then for, after a month, I realized I'd seen no human beings outside of work for like, a, literally for a month. So I was like, you can't, you can't, say, you can't yeah. do this. So. What, did, what does your schedule usually look like when you're working on a book? Uh, pretty, pretty boring routine. I mean, you know, I wake up usually at first light, whenever that is, 7.30, now seven thirty, usually six thirty-seven. Um, don't check email. Internet's off. Start coffee. Put in earplugs and, and work. Usually for about four hours. I take a short break, and if I'm in good mental form after like a short lunch and, and maybe reading some books or poetry or something like this, I'll get another maybe two hours at most. Sometimes an hour. Um, so have got a six-hour workday after which. Yeah, you're, it's kind of your at maximum intellectual output. Mm-hmm. You're just you can't even think straight. I mean, you have no idea who you are, what's happening. So then I turn the internet on. Then I answer emails. You know, um, it's a pretty rigor. I mean, I have like a pretty standard day. And then mm-hmm. you know, at, at night I know I have to see people. 
to recharge my brain. You know, yeah. I've, I've tried living in like, man, I got a house in Marfa, Texas for a couple, couple months and, um, didn't know anyone there. It was a disaster. I, I didn't get sure. much work done. I mean, cause I was so lonely. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, man. So you got to have people around to some extent and, but you, I mean, I, I need that routine, but also I'm like super OCD and I'm not efficient. So I like write a lot that I throw away. Well, that, I was going to ask that. So in those four hours, maybe six hours, yeah. what are are you churning out material? And churning then, out material. Like, maybe consistently, editing. And then, yeah, maybe editing. And then e- either you're one. just churning through it though. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, you're sort of, you know, the first day of like just puking it out onto the page and getting to that thing where you're really seeing the world in your mind and you're flowing. Uh, and then that's sort of stage one and stage two is like doing minor edits and then stage three is doing like the careful edits at the end of the book mm-hmm. you know what i mean but that might be there might be like 30 passes of any one given section yeah and you're saying you're, you're you'll throw away I, I, for the sun i threw away thousands of pages yeah. it's not even a question yeah yeah which which i, I like literally profoundly don't care about sure. I, I have no feeling about it at all um, well, i know i like, won't use them again you know right. they're gone it seems like you you have your eye on the story and yeah. whatever is going to best serve the story. No, exactly. And you see the novels to do that once you don't. You see, like, yeah. all right, man, great writer, good story, but the thing you're trying to tell doesn't fit into it anymore. And like halfway through the novel, you're like, man, you should have written. You know, the, 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 the character should have been different, or the story. You know, the character can't hold the meaning you're trying to put into him or her, and the story can't hold the meaning you're trying to put into him or her. And you're talking over the character. You're talking over the story. Mm-hmm. And I can hear your voice, Mr. or Mrs. Author, out of the character's mouth, which you can never do. And I can hear your philosophizing pressed on top of the story. Yeah. So, what uh, what have you read lately that you think is great in the past couple of years? Even. Um, God, man. Um, I mean, all the, the boring classics. I wrote the new introduction for Blood Meridian uh, for the UK edition last year. Um, that's that's a masterpiece. I kind of go back to that. I go back to like Virginia Woolf and Joyce and Faulkner and those sort of boring dead people. Um, I would say recently there's a book called Spoils by Brian Van Reet, who's actually a guy I sort of know a bit. Um, is a Iraq vet. Um, Kevin Powers, The Yellow Birds. Uh, there's a book of poetry called King Me by a guy named Roger Reeves, who's raised won a ton of awards. He's another young guy. Really f- fucking amazing poet. Um, what else? Um, Marlon James uh, was the uh, seven, um, you know, the big book. I won the booker. Jeez, I should know this. I read this book twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, history of Brief History of Seven Killings. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's really good. It's complicated, but it's a good book. Um, I, the, the problem is I read so much. I'm now like working on some Philip, Philip K. Dick. Um, I read so many books. I probably read like parts of 10 books a day. That I, I, I rarely, it takes me like 15 minutes to figure out what I've read. So, yeah, you have to be like, shit. And I also have to like go to my bookshelf and see what's like out on the stack and like look <laughs> at the, um, yeah. Dennis Johnson, Jesus Son. I mean, all the like classic I think like in ways like pretty conventional. You know what I mean? Like stuff's like classically good. I'll probably read it and sometimes you see a, a, new, a new like a debut novel that actually is on that level and it's mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing so sure yeah um and what was your relationship to tv before getting involved in tv and has it changed snobby i i hope it, i i have really pray it has not changed my, my yeah the relationship was i loved you know the wire um you know tv before the sopranos was uh, horrible I mean, I grew up with it. I loved the A-Team and all those other horrible shows. But, I mean, again, um, in my opinion, TV got good at Sopranos. Art comes on TV with the Sopranos. So, Sopranos is very good. Um, 
all those early HBO shows are pretty good, man. Um, the Wire to me is kind of the best show ever made. Um, a lot of good stuff now. I mean, I, True Detective, I really, really loved um, first seasons, you know, especially obviously. Um, but all those sort of snobby things aspiring to be high art <laughs> you know, my tastes are sort of pretty predictable i mean um uh but you know, also those things are like pretty complicated like fargo which is a complicated storytelling interesting tonally really interesting i think it's great um look at what else i've been watching recently um even i'm not a big consumer of i mean it's just with movies i i don't watch i don't like I have a very high standard and I never go away from it, you know? So, I mean, I'm not a TV junkie by, by, by any, by any, um, yeah, by any means. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yes. Thanks, man. Um, tell us again, the sun is on AMC. What is the date? Uh, April 8th. April 8th. Yeah. All right. Thanks Great. so much. Yeah, thanks, man. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 